0: Hello and welcome to Podcasters on Purpose. This is Debbie Aday, your host, and today I am so excited and delighted to have Joshua Spodek joining us. Joshua Spodek, PhD, MBA, wrote the number one bestselling leadership, Step by Step, hosts the award-winning Leadership and the Environment podcast, is a professor at NYU, writes a column for Inc., and blogs daily at joshuaspodek.com. He holds five Ivy League degrees, including a PhD in astrophysics and an MBA from Columbia where he studied under a Nobel laureate. He left academia to found a venture to market an invention that showed animated images to subway riders between stations. He teaches and coaches leadership and entrepreneurship at NYU and Columbia Business School. He has spoken at Harvard, Princeton, West Point, MIT, BCG, PwC, S&P, and IBM. Appearing on every major network, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and more, he has been called best and brightest in Esquire's Genius Issue, astrophysicist turned new media whiz by NBC, and rocket scientist by Forbes and ABC. He visited North Korea twice, swam across the Hudson River, has done burpees daily since 2011. That's 108,000 and counting takes 16 months to produce one load of garbage, and hasn't flown by choice since March 2016. He is an exceptional human and a delightful podcaster, and I'm real excited to share him with you on the show today. So welcome to the show, Josh.
1: Glad to be here. I, you know, I don't know if the people at home know that you and I spoke, not just recently, but a while ago, I hope our conversation is as good as it was before. It was really (laughs) engaging and got me thinking for a long time.
0: (laughs) Me too. I know. I was talking about our conversation like most of the day and thinking about it, actually. I was like, oh, I was talking to this guy who was telling me about, and I just, uh, so many of the insights that I got from everything that you shared, truly an exceptional human you are, as Yoda might say, um, (laughs) with how you live, you know, how you live and how you move through the world. Speaking of which, you know, one of the things that I love that you were talking about, and we'll dive into today, we're going to be talking a lot about leadership in the environment. But uh, we talked about how you kind of do your day to day in terms of the environment. And you use this analogy that I loved of an apple. And I'm wondering if you could share that because I just thought that that was really impactful. It actually had me stop watching Netflix, by the way, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> the apple part is more of an illustration of the underlying concept, which is a difference that I noticed. It's the sort of thing that after meditation, you might pick up on. And probably a lot of people do. I'm not sure. But it, there's a, a subtle difference between something tasting good and wanting to eat more of it. Usually they overlap, but not always. And so the illustration is that when you eat an apple, I don't know about you, I like apples. So I take a bite and usually I think, oh, this tastes good. I want more. and I rarely eat two apples in a day. The second one is kind of hard to eat. And a third, I don't think I've ever had three apples in a day. And the point is that the the apples still taste the same. Or, you know, two apples, the second one tastes the same as the first one, if I assume they're the same kind of apple. But the want more decreases. Mm -hmm. So there's something about apples and probably whole foods in general that you don't want to just keep eating and eating and eating them. Now, potato chip, on the other hand, you take a bite, it tastes good and you want more. I don't know about you, but they stop tasting good to me, but I still want more. And that tends to be the thing. I mean, potatoes is one type of thing like that, but there's a lot of things that you tend to want more, even though the taste good goes away. So apples are taste good, not a whole lot of want more and apples, Doritos, whatever sugar things, they tend to be want more, but they don't really necessarily taste that good after the first couple of bites. And this shows up in a lot of different places. And People kept telling me to get into various TV shows. And I guess Breaking Bad was the one that did it for me. <laughs> People kept saying the acting's really good. And Brian Kernston, I really liked his acting. But they kept doing things where there'd be, you know, it's generally towards like, I don't know, 45 minutes into the show. It's building up to something. And there's a big choice that the character has to make. And now, as a student and professor and practitioner of leadership, people's emotions and what they do and how they do it is very important to me. And In in order to improve my leadership and and my leadership teaching, I took Meisner technique, which is a kind of method acting, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people would call it, and I really wanted to understand people's motivations. And it seemed to me this pattern in the TV show was that when they had a choice between something that I would consider what people would do in life, they generally would do something that was more like want more. And it made me want to, or it would engender in me a feeling of want more, and I'd want to watch the next episode. Not because I was really compelled to, but for the same reason I would eat. It's not like I wanted, it's not like it tasted good. It's that I wanted more. I wasn't learning about myself because the choices weren't realistic. And as much, you know, I like being entertained as much as anyone. But I found that this show, the premise of the show is to tell me something about myself. But I felt I wasn't learning about myself. I felt like I was just being, I felt it was more like an engineering job. The writers were more engineering people to watch more than artists expressing themselves and so I just lost taste for a lot of TV shows and every now and then I'll start watching and I'm like these aren't that realistic now by comparison I have this movie that I just keep Mm -hmm. talking about and there's a whole there's several movies that like well Yi Yi is what it's called Y-I-Y-E-I I -I. I think it's from Taiwan and I, I remember when it came out kind of seeing it but not really thinking anything of it and then it kept showing up on lists of top movies of the 21st century so far and I watched it and I thought it's, I think, something about three hours. And while I was watching, I, was, I thought, this isn't really, I don't know, there's nothing, going, I mean, it's not an action movie, so there wasn't, like, gunfights or whatever. But it was really realistic. And so after I watched it, I thought, well, I don't know, it wasn't a waste of time, but it wasn't that great a movie. And then I kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And it just, and then I watched it again. And the next next time, I thought, this is, it was one of the most amazing displays of our world today, but in a timeless way that it could, it's this family. And I, I'm not going to get into it, but that told me about myself. That was tastes good. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to blockbuster. It's not going to get like a billion dollars in revenue or something like that. But man, did it tell me about myself and people around me and things like that?
0: It's such a beautiful metaphor and paradigm shift, that whole, the way that you describe that. I, I It's to the point literally where I've stopped watching Netflix because I was realizing I was in Want More all the time. When I would watch one of the shows (laughs) and I was not getting that taste good, like I I wasn't getting the actual fulfillment, right? And the self-discovery, like you're talking.
1: Yeah, I, I like to, after I eat something or watch something or have something in my life, my general question is, did it make my life better? And, you know, ice cream, yeah, it tastes as good to me as to anyone, although I have to say... The longer I go without it, well, now it's been years, but like fruit is, it keeps tasting better. I don't know if, certainly it's that with the CSA and now people, like I have this pile of fruit here that someone was over, a podcaster was over in New York and she said, I want to take you to dinner. And I was like, no, I'll make you dinner because I don't like restaurant food because my food at home tastes Mm -hmm. better, to me at least. She came over and we had this great experience and her daughter was visiting because her daughter's into drama and they went to Broadway and stuff. And then they sent me all this. They're from Phoenix and they sent me, I think it was from their yard. Anyway, I got grapefruits and lemons and oranges and a couple of these things for just like religious experiences, (laughs) eating these things. And I was, I like that Want that tastes good. And, you know, the last time I threw out my garbage was the first time I threw it out. And it's just, it's a canvas tote bag that I put my garbage in because the compost is where all the wet stuff goes. So I don't even need, need plastic bags. And when it fills up, I take it down the hall and empty it down the chute. So the last time I emptied my canvas tote bag, and you know, it was the same size as a tote bag. It's smaller than a trash bag. So it was the first time I'd emptied it in 16 months, and the first time I started avoiding packaged food. I was throwing my garbage out once a week, maybe maybe even twice a week, and I had no idea I was going to get to once every 16 months. And nor did, what did I expect that when that happened, that when people said, "Wow, that's so little," I would think, "Wow, that's so mm-hmm. much," because I stopped comparing myself against Americans because Americans pollute more than anyone, I compared myself to zero because that's that to me seemed the most relevant comparison. And at the time, I, when I made the change, I had no expectation that I would, I didn't know that was going to happen. I was just eating more delicious food because it was. I was getting it from the farmer's market and then from the CSA. So I'd go to the farm or I'd pick it up. And now I look back and I realize I couldn't have, it was inevitable that I would reach here. Once I got the experience that, how good the food tasted and how much money and time I was saving. And everyone talks about like these food deserts and stuff. I'm like, this is available to anyone. I mean, I could have done this in I I don't want to get into the whole politics (laughs) stuff, but it was really, it makes my life better. And I guess I've developed, I'm beginning to develop a sense for want more and I move away from it. So people often say, wow, that's so, they describe me as extreme sometimes for, because we'll be out and someone will offer me their business card. And I say, all right, let me just get the information. You can keep the card for someone else. Cause I, you know, it's gonna end up in a landfill. And, you know, recycling is basically in a landfill. And someone will say, Oh, that's so extreme. Or, you know, 16 months, that's so long, that's so extreme. The thing about want more is that it makes you want more. And I don't know if this is gonna sound too extreme the way I put this, but which is easier? Not ever taking heroin at all or taking it sometimes and trying not to get addicted? it seems to be much easier. Just never bother. Just don't start. And no one calls me extreme in my zero use of heroin. But it's actually more extreme because I do get packaged food sometimes. So I don't think it's particularly, it's just easier. I don't think of myself as extreme of avoiding the packaged stuff or the more that I get this want more feeling, devoid of the taste good feeling. I'm like, I don't I don't need this in my life. I got, there's so much other stuff in life. I mean, I never get to want more from broccoli. And I eat a lot of broccoli, cabbage (laughs) and rutabagas and parsnips. I mean, the winter in New York, the watermelon radishes now Mm. are just off the hook. They're so juicy and sweet. I bet that if someone tricked everyone into thinking that watermelon radishes didn't grow locally and they had to be flown in special from Thailand, (laughs) they could charge like $20 a pound for them. No doubt. But sadly, people are like, oh, that's nearby. That farmer's market in February, I'm not going to go to that. But I love yeah, it.
0: I wouldn't call you anything other than and maybe outstanding and that you stand out sometimes from other people because a lot of people don't live quite the way that you do. And and I know we were talking a lot too about...
1: In the future, they will. I'm hoping. I, I really yeah. think that... Yeah, I don't think people are going to be so profligate with the garbage as they are now. I hope that doesn't last. Can you last. speak
0: a little bit about some of the impacts of what's going on in the environment right now? Obviously, this episode, we're going to be talking about a lot about leadership in the environment. We're kind of starting off with more environmental pieces. But can you talk about why you make the choices that you make, some of the outstanding things that you're doing?
1: Well, this, I can go from a historical perspective. I can't help but share something, especially because I was just talking about Darwin. <laughs> so now I'm really deep in some weird hole. People are like, who is this guy? <laughs> So, I've been doing stand-up comedy, practicing. I go to uh, th- an open mic on Saturday afternoons. So, today is Monday. So, two days ago, I've been, people have been saying, oh, Josh, your stand-up is going pretty well. You should, like, branch out. Your, your voice is starting to come out. And I have some stuff that I say about the environment that is not particularly funny. And I decided it was below 32 degrees. So, it's below freezing outside. And I think, I'm going to go to the stand-up because I'm going to practice a rant or talking about some environmental stuff that I don't think it's particularly funny, but I got to get it out because it's in me. And you, sometimes you have to say it to hear it and watch the video and hear the audience reaction. And I get there and it's it's like 30 degrees out, wind blown like crazy and it's packed. Yeah. So I chickened out I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was really nervous and everyone else, it was not everyone else was funny, but enough of them were funny that I wanted to pay attention. And then I wasn't in my head like practicing. so. <laughs> I didn't want to go up on stage and blank. So you want to yes. hear my... Uh, bring it. Some environmental yeah. perspective that it's got some... It, all right, so here's the deal. A friend of mine, when I was out in California, a friend of mine, he's a social worker, and he works with heroin users. Uh, he goes to where they are and brings them into rehab. And not apparently apparently, not many people seek them out. So he goes to these hotels where they are, and you know, there's a rotating cast, but they know him enough that they let him in the hotel room. And he says, Josh, anyone would describe these hotel rooms as filthy and these people as throwing their lives away you know they were once kids walking around like anyone and for whatever reason they're overprescribed or something and so it's like pizza boxes everywhere but that's like the least of it because there's syringes and the spoons and filth and and bodily fluids and now but that's not what they see because from their perspective they can go to mcdonald's and shoot up in the bathroom but that's not really comfortable Here, there's a a community that's supportive, and what they see, apparently, when they look around, is they see euphoria because this is a place where they can, you know, take their hits or do whatever they do, and they get a euphoria that they can't get anywhere else. And if you say to them, that's not real, of course, it it is real to them because they feel it, and the emotion they feel is as real as any emotion you feel. Now, it may come from a pill or a syringe or something like that, but that's just coming from a different place. And if you say, this is filthy, you're throwing your life away. You've lost your credibility with them because that's not what they see. They don't see the filth. They feel the hit and this is a place where they can get that hit. And if you say you should go off and if you get a job, you can support yourself and you don't have to steal or turn tricks. And if you exercise, you can get healthy again. And if you eat healthy, you'll be more healthy. And that doesn't make any sense to them because the euphoria that they can feel is much greater than they're going to get from a job. So you have to look at things from their world. Now, I live in New York City, and it happens that I pick up a piece of garbage every day, at least one piece of garbage per day. It's just a habit. It's not like, not a habit. It's It's a sid shot. It's a thing that I do. And I don't even cross the street before I get my first piece of trash usually. And I'm not cleaning the world. I'm just moving it from one place to another. I'm not decreasing the total amount of trash. But once I start doing that, you start seeing more garbage around in the world. And here's the thing. We are living in filth. We are throwing our lives away. We don't see it. Because when we think about traveling to some other country, we think about seeing Machu Picchu, and we, we ignore what's coming out the back of the jet plane. We ignore the pat-down. We ignore the time of our lives that we spend working so that we can pay for this thing. And we ignore the feeling of where I live is so bad I have to get away from it all the time just to not go crazy. And what kind of life is that? What happened to community? What happened to getting to know your neighbor? What happened to a clean world? And We just don't see the garbage that we step through. I mean, I can see in the time that I lived in New York, there's more and more plastic all the time, and we just don't see it. And when someone says to us, you can also throw your garbage out less than once every 16 months, you can also not get packaged food, but we all get the packaged food. How do I know? I've seen the profits of McDonald's, of Coca-Cola. It's Mm. through the roof, much higher than the the broccoli growers get. And so we're living in this filth and we're contributing this filth and we just don't see it and we blame everybody else for it and we say it's others. They should change, not us. And it's not obviously the case that if you stop doing something that is against your values, that you'll necessarily like it because a lot of people feel, as I did, the reason I didn't, I took so long to stop, to, to start avoiding packaged food was that I didn't think I could do it. I thought it would be hard. I thought it would be like a big deal and I didn't think it would make much of a difference. Of course it makes a difference. That's how we got here. People making a difference. Of doing that, of of buying the packaged food and letting it get into the oceans and so forth, and flying the airplanes and not caring about what came out the you know all the f- jet fuel coming out the back of it, to say nothing of the other pollution and the supply line that reduces people to you know that keeps up props up dictatorships and things like that. It's not necessarily the case that switching away from that would be a joy, and yet what I've discovered and what I'm sharing is not that I'm avoiding packaged food, although that's the means to an end. It's the joy, the delicious, the discovery, the community, the meaning and purpose and the value and the putting my hands in the dirt and pulling out a potato. Because when I go to the farm, it's one of the highlights of my year. And if you told me a few years ago when I was going clubbing all the time and I was hanging out behind the booth with all these world famous DJs and all this stuff and I had my artwork up in the club so I could walk, like I get to the club and I have all these people with me and the front people are like clear path. Josh, how many people going right in? Everyone else is waiting in line because I don't have to worry about that. If somebody told me then that the highlight of my summer would be going to a farm and digging carrots out of the ground, it wouldn't have made no sense to me. And now I only wish I'd started earlier. That's the big thing. On my podcast, that sentiment, I wish I'd started earlier, is dominates, I don't know dominates, but it certainly comes a lot. So many people, when they think about environmental action, and for that matter, many other types of action where they would act more by their values, but they're kind of scared for some reason or anxious or the fear, anxiety, or guilt, or blame, or something like that. And invariably, it's, you know, I wish I'd started earlier. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, there's a lot of books, TED Talks out there that are about reading what other people have done and not a lot about actually you changing your behavior, not thinking about it or talking about it. You know, most people, they watch TED Talks and they think, oh, now I know that one little thing. If I do that, then I'll get promoted. Not many people actually do those things. And those things aren't really designed to get you to change your behavior. But if you do change your behavior, it's a big difference. I mean, if you don't like something and you stop doing it and then you replace it with something you like more, that you've improved your life.
0: Yeah, one of the distinctions that I got when we were talking the other day was you were talking about the difference between awareness and behavior modification, and it's great to be aware, right? But also, that's not what's going to really make the difference, right? You speak a little bit more to that and how that's been something that you've noticed for yourself in your life.
1: Yeah, I agree with anyone that generally it's difficult to change a behavior that you're not aware of or change a thought pattern that you're not aware of. Well, I do a lot of stuff with the environment, and everyone is aware of what's going on with the environment. And if they're not aware of everything, they're aware of plenty. Because once something is front page news on a weekly basis for several years, maybe even decades, you're aware. And anyone who's ordered takeout knows how much pollution they're creating, and everyone knows what's coming out the back of the cars and so forth. So everyone's aware. So when people say, I want to raise awareness, or I want to Raise people's consciousness about something that they're already plenty aware of. You know, the environment doesn't react to our awareness, it doesn't react to our level of consciousness, it reacts to our behavior. Mm-hmm. Carbon dioxide molecules don't do much on their own. I mean, they don't have much volition. We do. And if we don't change our behavior, we're not going to get, you know, we're. Ah, oh, that's probably enough noise to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's time to it's change like our behavior. Most... <laughs> <laughs>
1: So I don't know if that's worth keeping in because we're laughing or if it's we I don't know. <laughs> I
0: have
1: a firehouse across the street for me, for those who don't know. So uh, we have plenty of, of awareness. And if someone says, I want to raise my awareness when they're already plenty aware, that is a delay tactic. I think most people sense that they could do something. And the reason they don't do it is not because they're lacking awareness. On the contrary, they're plenty aware. I think it's more that they know that if they act, it will reveal to them that they could have acted a long time before and that they've been walking around with wet socks, and it really is annoying to find out that you've been wearing wet, wet socks all the time. The thing is that the way out of it, there's two ways out of it that I see. One is really just don't care about stewardship, don't care about the environment, you know, live for the moment, and don't care who gets affected by the consequences of your actions. That's one way. It doesn't work for me. I have too much, you know, I care about my community and I interact with my community and stewardship means something to me. And I really like the beauty of the world and I like the delicious food and so forth. Another way is to start doing these things. And once you start doing things, nature has this funny thing about that. We love it. We like trees and clean water and fresh food and things like that. And once you start having more of it, then you want more and more of it. And it turns out that the more you don't pollute, the more you get fresh vegetables. And, you know, the more you don't fly, the more you connect with community around you and, and, it makes it better and you stop feeling guilty. Whatever was that is holding you from it, whatever those emotions were that when you think I want to do X, oh, but oh, if I act, but no one else does, then what I do doesn't matter. What I do doesn't matter. This is like a profound statement. Hmm. What I do doesn't matter. Anyone who thinks that it's like, I never really unpacked it until recently. What I do doesn't matter is in deeply, deeply, profoundly a sign of, of, of a meaningless life, especially if it's something that's important to you, like, you know, the world you live in. So if those are the things that are holding you back, acting, and you don't have to solve all the world's problems. You just have to live by your values. And at that point, whatever those feelings were, go away. And if you listen to my podcast over and over, so the leadership in the environment podcast, the award-winning, as you mentioned, over and over again, people are like, now that I do this, I, I wish I'd done it earlier. I want to do more of this. And people that I talk to about, if I talk to them about acting on some value of theirs, when they act on it, they come back and they say, after I started, I don't know, bringing a mug with me to the coffee shop, it also occurred to me that I could eat less meat. You know, I didn't tell them, I didn't talk to them about that. They come back with other things. Once you start on that path, you start doing more and more and more because it's tastes good. So true. And we it replaces can- all that want more. I mean, to me, like, if I'm hungry... One of the ways to make me unhungry is put me in a McDonald's. There's no connection between <laughs> the center, the McDonald's center of my brain and the food center of my brain. It's in like it's there's more so much disgust in between. And I grew up eating, I'd love the nuggets and the and the hamburgers and stuff like that. It's just I, I mean, I loved them as much as anyone. It's just been long enough. And it's the greasy smell is and the you can't see the yeah. snarl on my face. It's not, yeah. it's not voluntarily there. It's like there's no effort. It's the effort for me not to eat a Big Mac is right. is up there with the the effort that it takes for me not to shoot up heroin. It's really not a challenge. Although I was a kid, I, I ate a lot of Big Macs growing up.
0: What had you act on creating your podcast? Like you have such an interesting life and you do so, so many amazing things in your day-to-day experience. And, you know, obviously your schedule is probably not lacking for, for different opportunities. Uh, what had you act on starting your leadership and environment
1: podcast? There was the pattern. The not eating packaged food was about four years ago. I have to write down what it was, uh, but it was something like four years ago. And it had me realizing that, I mean, that's where I first had this experience of what I thought was going to be deprivation and sacrifice ended up being joy and discovery. And you know, I, I wrap it all up with delicious. And then like partway through the first year, second year of that, I learned how much pollution flying caused. And living in New York City, not having a car, I figured I'm polluting a lot less than the average person. And then I heard flying New York LA round trip coach was roughly a year's worth of driving in terms of its pollution. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, I'm thinking, that's not my value. This is not fitting with my identity myself. Wow. And the first reaction was, I think, what most people do, which is to suppress that information and think, well, I, I like traveling, and so I don't want to deal with that. So I didn't think about it. The next time I flew, I was losing sleep over it, and I was thinking, this is not, this, I'm not comfortable with what I'm doing. And it's not a matter of other people's values, whatever. I know how, I, I grew up in a world that was polluted. I don't like that it's polluted. I wish people before me hadn't polluted as much. I wish people around me weren't polluted as much as they are. But I can't control them, and I, I can make choices myself. And I thought, the last time when I took on a challenge, I had no idea how I would make it through a week without food packaging. I had no idea what was on the other side, and it was really all that joy. So I thought, well, there's probably some chance that if I gave myself some similar challenge here, if, I, if a little change improved my life a little, then a big change may improve my life a lot. And I somehow came settled on, let's go for a year without flying. And so I say this to people now, and everyone's reaction invariably is they start lecturing me on how they have jobs and they have family, and I'm like, Do you think I somehow like, I didn't magically appear, you know, I have family and (laughs) they're all around the world and I make a living and travel is part of it, but I want to see what happened. So I figured out how to do it. And yeah, it was hard, but so was learning how to cook when I didn't know how to cook from scratch. And next thing I know, yeah, and, and I really, I was sure that day 366, I would be on a flight to, I don't know, Paris or something like that. So I thought it was gonna be really hard. And it began really hard because right after that, I was gonna be flown out to some give some talk in, in Italy. And I wrote them back and said, I've decided not to fly and I wonder if you could arrange a boat for me. And I never heard back from them again. And then there was <laughs> a thing in Poland that didn't happen, and I had a relative die in that year. And so I had to work all these things out. But I wasn't replacing the flying with sitting at home and crying. I replaced it with other things. And it turns out there are things I replaced it with. Were my community and, and you know, volunteering and meeting with people and, and learning about local cuisine that, as I mentioned, in New York City, you can go to almost any, any store any, big, any store of a certain size that sells food, and you can get a mango any time of the year. And most people think of them as exotic. But if you can get it at any corner or at any of the big stores, it's not actually practically exotic for the average New Yorker. A turnip, on the other hand, almost no one that I spoke to speak to ever gets turnips even though they grow right around the corner, in actual practice, they're much more exotic. Hmm. So there's plenty of what people want from travel right here. In New York, if you want like, different cultures, just take the train to Queens or Brooklyn, actually many parts of New York, uh, Manhattan. Oh, boy, did I just reveal my... <laughs> 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 so I, I kept replacing it with things that I liked. And when the year ended, I was like, I see no reason to fly. So I kept going without flying. And now in March, we'll begin year four of not flying. And there's zero in, in, in me of like how am I going to make it through That was long ago that was three, six months in that was gone. This is like what more joy is there? what more can I like what more is there from life that flying was keeping me from all that want more was keeping me from tastes good. So in this period, my nation elects uh, a guy to uh, Trump to become president and he says a lot about pure clean air and water, but I suspected, that he wasn't gonna do what I thought was, I I suspected he was gonna take the nation in a a different direction than I thought the country should go for the environment. And as it's turned out, my prediction turns out, was accurate. He's not doing what I think we ought to have done with the environment. And I thought, all the stuff I've been doing on a personal level, that's all well and good. But leadership, by example, in the area of the environment, I have not seen working. Leadership to hurt the environment To mess things up, I think that works pretty well. You buy a Hummer, someone else was probably liable to buy a Hummer. But if you live sustainably, most people, my the reaction seems to be, that's all well and good, but I already live sustainably no matter how much they pollute. So I thought living in in an exemplary way by my standards, and you know, everyone has their own standards, it's not working. And this is, I think, as a leader, as someone who has led companies and who teaches leadership and who writes about leadership, I think leadership is necessary here. And so at first I gave a series of talks at, oh, and I also noticed that the great leaders that led to social and cultural change that I use as models didn't actually, they may have eventually worked in government, but they didn't start in government. So, you know, Mandela, Gandhi, King, Vatsav Havel, you know, they eventually all worked in government, but they didn't start there and i think that wasn't looking to government for leading in this area you're going to wait a long time and so i think leading outside government was that's the place to start business not the place to start either and okay all this doing well about doing good people businesses fundamentally across the board misunderstand the difference between being more efficient or making people feel good and actually decreasing waste because you can make i mean we're we're more efficient than ever and we're producing more waste than ever and any single LED bulb pollutes less than any incandescent bulb, but collectively we're on track to use more electricity for lighting than ever. As we, you know, as happened when the Watt steam engine became more efficient than the steam engines before it, everyone thought, "Oh, we use less coal." Well, each engine uses less coal, but we use more engines for more things, and we use more coal, and the result is today's world. So that's a systemic effect that people don't quite get. Systems. And in any case. I thought the first thing to do, like, how did those guys lead? And I thought, well, they gave a lot of talks. So I gave a series of talks at NYU. I could get the space and I could fill a room. And those those talks didn't go well at all because I was lecturing and telling people what they should do and think. And I wanted to give up and think, well, there's nothing to be done. And then I was having coffee with an old student. And I mentioned this thing that I do about the picking up one piece of garbage a day. And I didn't prompt him. I wasn't even thinking about it. And he just said, you know, I'm going to pick up, 10 pieces of trash for 30 days. I thought, oh, that's interesting. So 30 days later, I asked him, how did it go? And you can read this in my, there's an ink story from July 4th, 2017, I guess, 2016. And I asked him, how did it go? And he said, you know, at the beginning, I felt weird stopping and picking up trash. At the end, I felt weird passing it by without picking it up. Hmm. And then he goes to the gym a lot. He lifts. And I never mentioned to him anything about food and he on his own decided to cut his meat intake by half. And because he lists that means figuring out all his protein, whatever. Oh, I didn't tell him about that. That was him on his own. And I thought this is much more effective. Having people sample the feeling is more effective than lecture and convincing and arguing and talking, spreading facts and doom and gloom. By this point, my first book, on the way to becoming a bestseller, there was a lot of I showed up on a lot of podcasts, and people kept telling me you should do a podcast. Because I was the first for many podcasts, I was the first one to be on a second time or a third time. I guess they liked what I talked about. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, all right, I got all these podcasts that I was on the guest of. At least I can get them back on mine. And so, and I didn't just want to do a podcast of just talking. I wanted to have something behind it. So I thought, all right, let's let's do a podcast where people try out environmental behaviors. And here's how it goes. And my book on leadership is one of the, the part about, about leading others, unit four, is how to lead people. So I mean, it's behaving in ways to make them feel comfortable sharing what motivates them. And when you connect what motivates them to a task, that task becomes meaningful to them. You imbue it with meaning and purpose. And so what I do on the podcast, and this emerged from a like the podcast that I do now is not how it started. What I do now is I ask the person for a value of theirs, what are, uh, relative, relevant to the environment, what does the environment mean to them? And this is a very interesting part to me because it's different for, I really thought at the beginning, everyone would have the same connection to the environment that I did, but it's different for everyone. So I really like that, hearing them share that. And then I asked them at their option to act on that value. And it usually takes a while because most people are pretty defensive and they don't want to put themselves out there because you're vulnerable when you share what, what motivates you. And if you put yourself, if you say you're going to do something and you don't, you can, you can be publicly accountable. Now, leaders like public accountability, but so does everyone on something that they care about. And so often we go back and forth and sometimes it's quick and sometimes it takes a while, but eventually people come up with something. And sometimes it's like food related, sometimes it's plants and sometimes it's oceans and sometimes it's, I don't know, their pet dog. And But they come up with something and after they think of what it is, I may have instigated them thinking about it, but it's their value. And so it feels meaningful for them and they really like it. And so it's a long way of answering. It started, the biggest step forward was avoiding food packaging. Then the flying told me that the more I act, the more I'll enjoy. Then the talks, they didn't go well. I wanted something more personal and interactive one-on-one. And then once I started, it evolved into the current practice, which is now keeping to evolving more because these companies come to me and they say, we're trying to be more green, and people see that we ourselves are not behaving like they see that we in our office are polluting and producing waste, and they say that we're greenwashing. And you help leaders transform publicly in a way that people like and sounds authentic and genuine, because it is authentic and genuine. And so now I'm starting this consulting business of helping leaders of companies to behave consistently with the values that they want the company to, because if they don't do it, they're setting a culture of saying one thing and doing another. But if they do it Instead of telling others to do what they're not, they're saying, I really like this.
0: It's so profound. You know
1: and how can I support you? So supporting someone is very different than telling them they have to do something and complying.
0: Yeah, it's it's so profound the way that you're doing that. And I, I really love how you are, everything that you do, there's an action component. Like everything, like your are podcasting, even having the people act on it, right? Not just talk about it, but act on it. Uh, the awareness versus the behavioral modification, like how you live and how you move through the world is so much in alignment with that philosophy that your life matters, you know, versus having people think, oh, well, my life doesn't matter. If I have this awareness, I'm not going to do something. There's such an action thread to everything that you do that I feel I love that your podcast is lined up with that as well and your business, and your consulting, and everything you're doing. Is is your teaching the same as well? Do you have people? Oh,
1: yeah. It's all based on exercises. And, yeah, it's it's somewhere along the line, people forgot that there's this body attached to our minds, and they think it's all about learning things, and that somehow the body will follow if the mind tells it to. And it goes both ways. And the body is not just about carnal pleasures, although I certainly enjoy them. It's also... Practice and awareness doesn't lead to behavior nearly as much as behavior leads to awareness. And if you really want awareness and raise your consciousness, action will lead to it way more than inaction.
0: Hmm. Active leadership. I love that. That
1: Active living. I mean, actually, yeah, yeah, a lot of times I think of there's uh, the slow food movement begun in Italy, I forget, I don't know how long ago. And you think of everything that fast food stands for and think the opposite. So that's slow food. So and Increasingly, I think of slow life of, you know, it's, it's not just stopping and smelling the roses. It's, and if you listen to my podcast conversation with Lorna Davis, who's the senior advisor to the CEO of Danone and was behind Danone North America, becoming the largest B Corp ever. And she talks about how, I mean, she was president and she was the top level executive of, of all these companies and still is in the C-suite. And she talks about how much she slowed her life down and how much more she gets done you know these things are not opposites it's like fast work it's not the same as effective and working with people you get so much in my experience you get so much more done so much more effectively than treating people as tools and objects and teams are going to be individuals and yeah it's a very different lifestyle
0: that's beautiful i love it you know, I could talk to you all day, Josh. <laughs> Every time I talk to you, I, I it truly is paradigm shifting, being in your presence. And uh, I would encourage anyone who's listening in to definitely check out his show. When you created an award-winning show, did you find that that was something that happened more organically for you, just out of who you be in the world and how you how you do your show? Or was there any particular strategy that you might've used for growing your show that you might want to share with the listeners today?
1: I was really grasping because I knew... I had to do something based on everything I'd done so far improve my life, but it was all very personal. But I knew that there was nothing special about me. It's not like I'm the only one who, if the taste buds are given long enough, will love the flavors of fruits and vegetables and, and spread that out to all parts of life, you know, not just food. And well, nonviolent civil disobedience, I didn't see how that could apply here. However well that worked with Gandhi and, King and so forth. We're not trying to change human laws. I mean, we are, I am, but that's not the problem. And I don't know, I'm not aware of anything in all of human history where we've had to face a problem like this. Mm. It's not immediate. It's easy to not act on. It's global. Something you do here can affect someone over there. And there's just nothing about it that makes it that any solution to anything before applies. And so it's not like I had a vision for what would work, but I knew that it had to be systemic. There has to be systemic change, not just local small changes. However, making technology more efficient is exacerbating the issue. Growth is exacerbating, economic and uh, population growth is exacerbating things. And these are the things that generally people see as solutions. You know, making light bulbs more efficient or bringing in nuclear power is, it, from a systemic perspective, it will improve things in a local, for a little while. It's just like everyone who sat in traffic and thought if this, if this lane were wider, if this traffic, if there's an extra lane here, the traffic would go away. And it would up until people realized that there was less traffic there and then they adjust their lives and then it becomes full of more traffic. And that pattern happens with energy use, with material use and so forth. And it's, once you see it, it's all there. Mm-hmm. So given that awareness Given that perspective, I was really struggling with what to do, and I thought I'll just start with a podcast. Now, one of my guests, Sandy Reiske, who is a major supplier, uh, he's he started these companies that build wind farms and solar farms and so forth, and he told me something that I'll misstate but hopefully get the gist of it accurate, which is that the number one predictor of someone installing solar on their home is not how much money they make, it's not how much money they would save, it's not their politics, it's how many people in their zip code already have solar installed. And my takeaway from that is that facts and things like that, what really motivates people, what motivates people in social and cultural change is community. Now, that's my interpretation, but what I'm trying to do here is, I think the opposite, the way out of what I do, if I act but no one else does, then what I do doesn't matter is, to people realize people in your community are doing things. And so, you know, any listener, listen to this part. <laughs> I think that like, the, the guests that I want most on my podcast are people like Oprah and LeBron and Serena and Sergey and Larry and Barack. And not because they're celebrities. I'm happy if someone listens and they change their behavior because some celebrity changed their behavior, but because they're in everyone's community. And when you say, if I act, but no one else does, well, you stop there because Oprah is in everyone's community. And not only do I know that she's in my community, but I know that a lot of people are in her community. So I want to spread that it's not just you. It's a lot of people and it's people in your community. Now, if that doesn't happen, on the other side of the spectrum, I saw this headline that said the top three executives at Google have eight airplanes between them. It seems like a lot of airplanes, roughly eight more than necessary, but, you know, I mean, certainly five more than necessary because I don't know. I don't know what their need is for airplanes, but as long as they can talk about making Google green or sustainable or something like that or carbon neutral, but they are actually at a leverage point of a system. They are setting the tone. Whether they've asked for it or not, people would say, yeah, I'm happy to try the straw thing for a little bit, but success means having, having a jet. And those guys have jets and I don't, so I want to work to get a jet. And, you know, DiCaprio did a movie before the flood. I liked it. He flies around a lot in the movie and he flies around in, a lot in life. When those Sony emails were hacked, it came out that he was flying, I think, cross-country twice a month. So I forget the details. Well, as long as they're doing that, everyone, then the cultural norm is to fly around all the time and not, you know, not concern yourself with how your actions affect other people. I want to help change that, partly for environmental reasons, but also because I, when I was a kid, I didn't want responsibility. I didn't want accountability. It meant not doing things I liked and doing things that I didn't like. And as I've gotten older, I've preferred, basically every time I've taken responsibility and held myself accountable, it's improved my life. What I do is so small compared to anyone who has a baby. I mean... It's so small a change in comparison. I've never met anyone who regretted having a baby. I'm sure they're out there, but I'm sure they're a small minority. And you can't party when you got a baby. I don't think you can, I don't know. But certainly my sisters and and I don't see them partying and I don't see them regretting it. It's responsibility for how your actions affect others when they depend on you, when they're helpless. These things make us, we never stand so tall. How is that extreme? It's, uh, It's, this is the future. And just throwing stuff away because it's convenient, you know, I mean, now one of the popular phrases is there is no way you throw it, but it's like the world we've reached, we've colonized the whole thing. There is no place where you can go now where we aren't already. And so it's other people, it's stewardship. Hmm. This isn't complicated to me. It was hard to start, but once started, anyone who's in New York, when anyone who's listened to this, when you pass through New York, Contact Debbie, find out how to reach me, come on over, I'll make you some stew. It's yummy. really good.
0: <laughs> yes, yummy, healthy stew. I want to come to New York and do that, but I'd have to fly across country.
1: <laughs> you don't have to. There's, oh, there's yeah, trains, trains, there's bikes, there's ways to get across. I mean, I, when I went to LA before, I took the train. Now I want to find out a way of doing it with less pollution than train. I mean, when I went, my research said, said that trains were roughly a third the emissions of flying. It depends on a lot of things. And at first I thought, oh, a third, great. Two thirds reduction is big. But now I think a third of a lot is still a lot. Mm. So I got to figure out what I do next time. It's a long way to ride my bike.
0: It It happens. People do it. People ride bikes.
1: It's a long Yeah, the summer between high high school and college, a friend of mine and I, we were 16. We rode our bikes from Philadelphia to Maine and back. So I was 1,500 miles round trip. So I don't know. It's in the, I mean, I'm trying to get to Europe by boat, by sailboat. I've, I've been taking sailboat lessons and I saw sailing as some elite hobby or something like that, but at least in practice for me, the amount I'm spending on it is way less mm. than I spent on flying and being on the water is really, there's something about waves and the wind and the pace, whatever's on my mind, whatever stress I have, seconds on the boat, it's gone.
0: I love it. That's slow living, right? That's beautiful. And yeah. Yeah. Magical.
1: People aren't really angry on a boat, like <laughs> they are behind the wheel of a car, that's or on an true. airplane.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's true.
1: I'm only a few miles from home. It's the New York City Harbor. I mean, I'm, and it happens for me that it's like the Brooklyn Bridge. I can see the and Narrows Bridge and the Statue of Liberty and Wall Street mm. and and my home. I can see my home too, and. I mean, that's where I live. I hope people live in places that they like, that they'll see from a different light when they do it, when they skip one of their flights and instead maybe take a sailing lesson or whatever they do instead.
0: That's beautiful. If you could leave the listener today with one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: Well, to the extent that they're chasing awareness on something they're already aware of, to attach, see, for me, what's worked out is doing these little, a little experiment. And it begins with what's a value of yours A value, a purpose that you're not living by or that you're doing that's in conflict. I don't know if it's environment or what. Maybe you haven't told your your spouse that you love them or I don't know, something like that in a while. Find some value that you could live by more and then give yourself a challenge to live by it. You'll know the right time scale. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's a day, maybe it's a month. And if it's environmental, great. If it's something else, great. And give it a shot. And don't kill yourself. Don't say, like, I'm going to do it for the next 10 years unless that's really absolutely necessary, and see how it goes. See how it goes when you stop doing something that's against a value of yours and you replace it with something that's with a value of yours long enough for it to take root so that you don't feel like you're trying hard anymore. And if after that end of the period you give it up, that's your business, but at least give it a shot. That's purpose. That's adding purpose to your life.
0: That's beautiful. And if that's podcasting, it's podcasting on purpose, like this podcaster is on purpose. <laughs> yeah. I love it. If the uh, listener day would like to get more of you and your podcast and your work, where would they
1: go? So com is where my blog is and I blog every day. And then in the upper right corner, you can click podcast, and that will bring you to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. And then that will give you a list of all the different guests, not all, but like the top downloads. Although I do also recommend my rants, raves, and monologues, which those are without a guess, just me talking kind of as I've spoken to you just now. And the book Leadership Step-by-Step, Step, anywhere where you buy books, and that's what, that went bestseller a while ago. And now once we get to May, then you can buy Initiative, which is my next book, which is how to take initiative, how to find problems to solve, how to solve them so effectively that other people will reward you for it. And it's you end up creating passion in your life as a result.
0: That's beautiful. I so love the work that you do in the world. I love how you how you move through the world and who you be. And I'm really grateful to have gotten a chance to get to know you. And I'm looking forward to our next conversation. It's going to be happening on the Spiritual Entrepreneur as well. So thank you so much for sharing your life, your philosophy, your behavior modification, your inspiration, your paradigm shifts, all of the above, uh, and just who you are. I so appreciate you, Josh.
1: Well. Here you led me in this interaction, so I appreciate your leadership and initiative in leading me through this. And <laughs> well, I learned a long time ago that if I if I talk a lot, it usually means that I'm enjoying myself, and it means there's a high risk of other people not enjoying it. Good. <laughs> so usually I check myself if I talk too much, if I'm enjoying talking too much. So I hope I didn't. If people like it, I hope it leads to people taking on challenges and improving their lives by their standards as well. Yeah, well, I
0: personally love it. So I'm imagining our listeners will as well. So thank you so much for sharing all of your awesomeness and to be continued.
1: To be continued.
0: If you're new or returning to this show and have not yet subscribed, please subscribe to receive the latest episodes as they're released. And if you love what you heard today, we'd love a great review too. Thanks so much for listening in. We'll see you next time on Podcasters on Purpose. Hey there, have you ever thought about creating your own podcast? If so, I'd love to support you with giving you a free guide on how you can create your studio and set up for your podcast. If you'd be interested in learning more about the microphone that I use, the headset that I use, the software that I use <laughs> to do these shows, I'd love to share that with you. You can go on over to podcastingonpurpose.com.